Hello and good morning, evening or afternoon, depending on when you are tuning into this latest episode of Edie's Susty Talks. If you're new here, welcome. Susty Talks are our short but sweet podcast designed to keep you up to date and in the know about sustainability topics, even if you're pushed for time. Um, and it's great to be having the special edition today just ahead of the autumn statement here in the UK. Next week, I have on the line Oscar Warwick Thompson, who is Head of Policy and Communications at UK SIF. So, Oscar, thank you very much for, for taking the time. How are you? Hi, Sarah. Uh, great to be on the podcast. Uh, and yeah, thank you for, for having me. No, thank you for taking the time. I know it's a hugely busy time of year for anyone <laughs> doing anything vaguely climate related. So thank you for the time. Um, I guess we should probably start. I know that we here at ED have been speaking with UK SIF for several years, but for those who are listening and might not have heard of you guys before, could we have a brief introduction? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so we are UK SIF, the UK Sustainable Investment and Finance Association. Uh, we're at the UK's membership network for sustainable finance. Uh, we bring together around 300 financial institutions and investors, uh, collectively managing over 19 trillion uh, in assets under management globally. Uh, a lot of our work, Sarah, is to look at ways to better embed uh, sustainability in the UK's uh, public policy and regulatory frameworks, uh, and also uh, to empower our membership to move further and faster when it comes to embedding sustainability into their strategies, cultures uh, and investment decision making. Great. And with all of that in mind, I couldn't think of anyone better, really, to be previewing the autumn statement um, with. So we're anticipating the autumn statement um, on around 22nd of November here in the UK. And there's a lot of buzz around the fact that it should be presented with a British response to the Inflation Reduction Act in the US and the Net Zero Industry Act in the EU, because that wasn't on the table this spring. Um, So I wanted to get your views on whether you're hopeful um, about this sort of package materialising and why that would be so important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think from our side, Sarah, um, we are hopeful that we will see a response to the Inflation Reduction Act. um, And as you say, um, steps from other jurisdictions such as the EU and elsewhere uh, to to really revitalise and spur forward the growth of the green economy. I think perhaps the question for us really is, you know, will this have the necessary ambition and be comprehensive enough uh, to to respond to to the efforts that we've seen uh, in the US, uh, the EU and other jurisdictions? Um, You know, the budget uh, earlier this year from the Chancellor, there had been, I think, that expectation that we would have have seen uh, the UK's response to the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, But but alas, we we saw nothing uh, from from the Chancellor, really. I think a few weeks later, you had uh, the Green Day announcements that were announced by the UK government. Uh, This saw the government release the updated uh, version of its green finance strategy uh, and also a a broader package of measures uh, on net zero and energy security in the UK. Uh, This was the Powering Up Britain uh, publication. And I think in both of those documents and and overall at Green Day, we we just didn't really see that response uh, to to IRA uh, and similar initiatives from other countries that were adopted. And I think this has led to rising expectations from the investment community and businesses Uh, in terms of how the UK may respond uh, to what some are dubbing the global clean energy arms race. Um, There is a sense, I think, from some of our members that we speak to that there have been various missed opportunities over the course of this year uh, for government to show that the UK can be this preeminent investment and business destination uh, that crucially is realising the opportunities of the clean energy transition. There's been lots of uh, talk about this from uh, investors, businesses uh, and, and business groups uh, as well. 
I think we saw uh, a really a powerful uh, signal from uh, the business community over the summer. So in kind of July of this year, we had a letter that I think was signed by over 100 businesses from across different uh, sectors. A lot of these were kind of household names from the kind of FTSE, uh, FTSE 350. So your companies like Tesco, BT, Centrica, Unilever, SSE, um, signing up to a letter, which I think really warned uh, of the risk of the UK being left behind um, as the world uh, transitions uh, and highlighting really their intents to stand ready to invest to support the UK's uh, transition towards net zero. Um, I hope you'll forgive me, Sarah, for um, taking this opportunity to mention a letter that UK SIF <laughs> did alongside its members. So uh, we did two letters um, with, with our members, uh, one of which was was in August. Uh, and this really called for uh, the, the prime minister uh, and ministers to uh, provide uh, the consistent policy signals um, that are needed for the UK to realise the opportunities from the transition. Uh, following that, we had another letter that we did with some of our industry partners, IGCC and PRI. And this was very much in response to the Prime Minister's speech on net zero. Uh, and that speech came in September uh, and that signalled uh, a slight rolling back uh, of a number of key policy pillars that are underpinning the UK's 2050 target. So, yeah, uh, lots of letters, lots of, I guess, this drumbeat of, of voices from the business community and investment community calling on the government to act. Uh, there's been voices from civil society and NGOs uh, as well. Uh, I think that messaging has been pretty clear uh, from all these different voices to governments uh, over the last few months. Um, you know, I, I think it's you know, wor worth noting that other countries are taking these steps uh, to capitalise on the opportunities for, from the transition. Uh, and a key part of that is putting in place uh, the supportive policy environment to be able to secure investments into the low carbon economy uh, and also securing investments in, into the clean energy uh, technologies and supply chains, whether that's in electric vehicles, heat pumps, green hydrogen, the grids, uh, carbon capture and other clean energy technologies uh, and solutions. So, yeah, I think that's a very long way of saying, Sarah, that uh, I think it is very much kind of long overdue for the UK to take similar steps uh, that we've seen, for example, with the US Inflation Reduction Act, uh, but also but also in terms of initiatives that we've seen from the EU, Japan, Korea, Canada, among others. Absolutely. And I think you've touched on something really important there, which is that the pressure is really on ministers at the moment to come up with something. But we know that it can't just be anything. Um, and we also know that the UK can't outspend the US or probably the EU on a pound for pound basis. Um, so in terms of how we could design a package that is suited to the UK's needs, what would that in what would that include? Um, what, what were you advocating for in terms of what the package should cover and a little more, bit more about the specifics of it? So I think there are a number of things that we'd like to see uh, the government and the Chancellor uh, look at in, in more detail. So one of which would be providing kind of clear and more consistent uh, and enabling public policy and regulatory frameworks. Um, and I think that pertains to financial services, but also certain areas of the real economy as well. I think part of this focus on, on clear policy and regulatory frameworks, uh, part of the focus should be looking to tackle some of the kind of gaps in terms of policy and address, I guess, the kind of the seeming lack of commitment from, from policymakers to decarbonising certain areas of the economy at the pace that, that we think is required. So um, I think energy efficiency in the home retrofits market is one example. There has very much been, we think, this kind of stop-start approach uh, to the home retrofits market in recent years, and that's something that a number of our members uh, will say to us fairly regularly. I think there are also question marks uh, linked to this around the rollout of heat pumps uh, across UK homes and elsewhere. And I think linked to that also question marks over the UK's boiler upgrade scheme. 
uh, the Prime Minister's speech on net zero that I briefly mentioned earlier in September. Uh, this unfortunately saw uh, the Prime Minister uh, pushing back the phase out of gas boilers uh, in homes uh, from 2026 to 2035. So I guess it's that kind of unclear policy signals uh, to the investment community and to, and to businesses that that really doesn't help. And I think in place of that, it's just having the consistency uh, and the clarity in some of these public policy uh, and regulatory frameworks. I mean, the UK has done this before. It's not impossible. We've seen that with the contracts of difference, CFD scheme uh, for offshore wind that has you know, really helped to make the UK a leader globally in offshore wind uh, behind China. So um, yeah, it's to say that this is not necessarily something that, that can't be done. I think more broadly and linked to that kind of first point, um, I think there is a real need to to create, I think, Sarah, uh, in this country, a much more supportive policy and, and political environment uh, for net zero. Uh, and part of that, I think, stems from the rhetoric and tone we see for, from uh, the prime minister and ministers and, and a sense that um, you know, sometimes what, what number 10 and capitalists are saying can seemingly be at odds uh, with one another. And I think, yeah, getting those kind of political signals and the political environment right, I think, will be a really important part of the of UK's response uh, to, uh, to the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, I think really seeing a commitment uh, from government at the autumn statement and beyond to tackling some of the um, you know, long-standing barriers in terms of investment um, in the UK. I guess in terms of economic investment more broadly, uh, the UK does have um, a relatively weak record in terms of public and private investments uh, in the economy compared with, with G7 countries. I think we just really need to see uh, a comprehensive investment plan. Uh, for the economy, but particularly for the clean energy transition. Uh, we think this is a really positive way of addressing this kind of low uh, low investment environment we've seen uh, in the UK over recent years. And I think also that can help it, uh, tackle some of the linked challenges to that kind of lack of investment in the domestic economy, such as uh, issues around kind of productivity, issues such as the kind of skills gaps across the economy, uh, and also the kind of lack, uh, or I should say seeming lack of high paying jobs uh, across the country at the moment. Um, and if I may, one kind of smaller priority to add uh, to, to, to that list uh, is around, I guess, continuing a targeted support uh, that is kind of more strategic uh, to give a boost to certain sectors, uh, decolonization uh, pathways. Uh, and part of that for government will be perhaps making better use of existing uh, uh, finance and existing uh, institutions uh, that are looking to, to lend uh, to different growth industries in the economy. I think government is doing a little bit of this uh, already in terms of strategic uh, support measures. So we saw a £500 million support package for Tata Steel, uh, and then also around the, the same time, I believe, a £700 million package for Jaguar Land Rover uh, to build a new battery plant in the UK. So um, the government is doing some of this already, but I guess yeah, it is a case of, of doing more of, of this strategic support uh, where possible, while recognising, Sarah, as you said, that uh, we won't be able to uh, deliver the same level of subsidies uh, that um, the US uh, government is, is doing at the moment. Yeah, it almost is a case that we've seen a sort of industrial strategy by choice, that there's just a sort of one deal after another and no actual strategy. So that makes complete sense. And I, I also wanted to come back to the statement itself, because we've talked there about the package that might come in it and, and with it. Um, but a key part of looking at statements and budgets is always about what yeah. happens in the finance sector itself. Um, Rishi Sunak, now PM, but at the time um, Chancellor, said at uh, COP26 that he wanted the UK to become the first net zero financial centre. Um, so could there be any inclusions um, in, in this statement that could help to green the finance sector, that could help push us towards that ambition? 
Yeah, I mean, we'd certainly hope so. Um, it, it goes without saying that's you know the core of, of UKSF's work is is trying to create this environment uh, for you know green financial flows in, in, into the economy and making sure that the kind of the regulation for, for green finance is is uh, you know is sufficiently robust and, and can enable capital flows into different sectors of the economy and, and address the risks of greenwashing. Um, I suppose in terms of financial services um, more broadly, um, there's been a lot of talk um, in the press recently around uh, reforms to pensions in the UK. And, and that's something I think we can expect to be covered um, you know, when the Chancellor stands up in the Commons uh, to deliver his autumn statement to MPs. So I think we can expect an update on the Mansion House Compact uh, at the autumn statement. Um, so this was the announcement from uh, Jeremy Hunt uh, earlier this summer. Uh, when he mentioned that nine of the largest defined contribution pension providers would invest voluntarily a certain portion of their portfolios into private markets. Um, it was mooted that this could potentially unlock around £50 billion pounds in investment in high growth companies by 2030. So I think, yeah, I suspect Mansion House and, and the Mansion House Compact and Next Steps uh, may feature heavily uh, at the autumn statement next week. Um, there have been some reports also from industry commentators around uh, some tweaks and changes uh, to the role of the British Business Bank and also talk of changes to you know, business tax allowances and investment allowances, uh, which would uh, provide that investment certainty uh, to many businesses uh, across the country. Um, there's also a possibility that we might see uh, an update on other parts of financial services. So we had the Edinburgh reforms that were announced uh, by government in December of last year. That was all really about boosting the competitiveness of the UK's financial services centre uh, and liquidity of, of UK capital markets. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see something around uh, around that and, and potentially maybe a mention of where the UK uh, is at when it comes to reform of the UK's listing regime. Um, I think also, Sarah, it wouldn't be a, an awesome statement from a government without some form of, of giveaways uh, to consumers and savers. Uh, so, you know, changes to, to the regime for ISAs, uh, pension allowances as well. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that, you know, tax giveaways as well, or at least a signal to tax uh, giveaways to come is, is certainly something that um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see if that was announced uh, at uh, the autumn statement. And perhaps maybe finally, um, you know, separately to the autumn statement itself from the Chancellor, uh, there are a number of kind of really key green finance regulations that uh, that UKSIF and, and many of our members are, are keenly awaiting. So uh, one of which is this consultation that has been mooted for a while uh, on the UK's approach to delivering a green taxonomy. Uh, a taxonomy, in short, is a classification system to find sustainable economic activities uh, in the economy. We were waiting on that consultation from HM Treasury for some time now, um, and we're hopeful that that might come uh, you know, in the coming weeks, even around the time of the autumn statement. I think secondly to, to the taxonomy, there is the FCA's policy statement on the SDR and investment labelling regime. This is all really about trying to provide a bit more confidence uh, to retail savers uh, who want to access opportunities in the UK's growing uh, sustainable investing market uh, and, and look to, to rebuild trust among savers in their sustainable investment decisions. So, um, you know, this is perhaps asking for, for kind of too much, uh, but yeah, it will be really great to see and we're really hopeful of seeing uh, an update on, on the SDR uh, policy statements and, and having that kind of across the line from the FCA uh, in the coming weeks as well. And maybe th a third and final area of kind of green finance policy regulations to draw uh, attention to is around the fiduciary duty. And, and you know, we're really seen to see, we're really keen to see uh, clarification uh, to pension scheme trustees of fiduciary duty, uh, which is really uh, about um, how pension schemes are acting in the very best interests of their beneficiaries and savers. We think there's a bit of ambiguity in the market around how this is interpreted 
not necessarily how it's legally defined, but how it's interpreted by some uh, pension scheme trustees, particularly smaller trustees. Uh, and I think if we you know, get, have that addressed uh, in the form of guidance, um, then I think that that could potentially uh, remove one of the kind of key blockers uh, that trustees face uh, who may be wanting to invest sustainably uh, on behalf of their beneficiaries. So, yeah, I think uh, looking at that kind of taxonomy, the kind of SDR and fiduciary duty, um, you know, somewhat a little bit removed perhaps from the autumn statement, but kind of three other kind of key areas where we want to see progress on. And, and you never know, we perhaps um, the chance there may be um, maybe willing to provide an update at the dispatch box on, on some of those uh, uh, green finance measures as well. I think we could probably do another episode on any of those three things that you mentioned, <laughs> Oscar, especially green taxonomy is something that's, you know, always comes and goes, <laughs> finally hoping for it to just come and be confirmed. Um, but I wanted to come back to something you mentioned there, which is that a budget and statement usually has some giveaways. There's usually quite a dramatic announcement about something like the price of alcohol or the price of fuel. Um, <laughs> but we know at the moment that people need help with their energy bills. And we've seen a lot of rumours that the Chancellor could outline new measures to incentivise home energy efficiency improvements. Um, home retrofits being something else that you've already mentioned. So something that is pinging around in the media is stamp duty rebates for more energy efficient homes. So from UKSIF's point of view, is this a good thing? What are members looking at in terms of finance for sustainable homes already? Yeah, on the face of it, um, I think it's fair to say these are these are positive reports that, that we've seen in, in the media. Um, I guess you know anything that can really incentivise uh, more individuals in the UK to make their homes much more energy efficient uh, is extremely positive. Um, you know, we think um, doing so uh, has a number of benefits. It can you know, reduce household bills, energy costs, um, and in the process, reducing uh, the high rate of inflation that we've seen in this country in recent months, uh, and crucially. Uh, in the process also bringing down our carbon emissions as well. And I think this is really important to see action in terms of emissions in, in homes and buildings. We know that energy usage in, in homes in the UK accounts for, I think, around 40% of the UK's total greenhouse gas uh, emissions. So yeah, anything that can help us get on, on towards that journey and make progress there uh, it, it is undoubtedly a very positive. I think doing this in, in a kind of just and equitable way will be very important. So uh, while Sarah, I'm not familiar with, with the details of the policy, and of course, uh, UKSIF will be kind of uh, scrutinising uh, with a fine tooth comb the details of the announcement. I think uh, for now, what, what we can say is that you know this would need to uh, be be done, as I mentioned, in a kind of just way uh, and support, I guess, all homeowners uh, with the costs of energy improvements, not just those who are in a position uh, to be able to afford some of those improvements. So yeah, I guess the question there's a question around you know, how is this going to apply to to folks uh, living in kind of social housing uh, and folks uh, in, in in more vulnerable households as well. So we'd hope to to see. Uh, government take steps uh, in that area. Um, I think also there's there's a question around how do we upskill uh, enough people in this country to be able to carry out some of those uh, improvements to energy efficiency in homes and, and home retrofits as well. Key part of that, I think, is building up the kind of green skills base in the UK, which I don't think we have uh, at the moment. Uh, so, so, so yeah, I think other things will certainly need to be uh, progressed as well uh, in order to make uh, a potential package of measures uh, work effectively. Yeah, fingers crossed there. And um, Oscar, I know we're nearly out of time on the episode, but I'm aware that we've gone from global to local, but I'd love to come back to global again just to close off um, and looking at the timeline in which the statement is being delivered. So it's being delivered literally days before COP28 begins in Dubai. And I know that COP26 was a big moment for sustainable mm -hmm. 
finance and we caught up with you guys in Glasgow um, there. So what in a nutshell do you think um, would be a good outcome from COP this year? What would be good in terms of moving the dial um, for the global financial sector in terms of building a low carbon and sustainable economy? Sure. So um, I think in terms of one key priority area we'd like to see further action uh, from policymakers at COP28 um, is, I guess, around this $100 billion a year uh, pledge uh, in terms of climate finance from uh, developed countries uh, to, to developing nations uh, to really support their efforts to tackle climate change. I think this is one of the key disappointments that we saw uh, when the UK hosted uh, COP26 in Glasgow. Um, it's unclear whether that $100 billion a year figure will be reached at COP28. Uh, but I guess there is that risk that if we don't hit that figure, could that, um, you know, does that risk the progress of, of negotiations between countries uh, on other issues that will be really important to deliver uh, good outcomes at, at COP28? I think a second uh, area where we like to see progress is around uh, the just transition. Um, that was a kind of key area of focus and, and a success from, from COP26 uh, in Glasgow. I think at COP26 it was the first time. Um, I, I understand that the just transition was mentioned in the final text agreement at a COP. So I think, yeah, see, seeking some way to, to build on some of that success on, on the just transition is really key. And then maybe finally to, to conclude, Sarah, on uh, expectations for COP, I think trying to see uh, more global coordination uh, and consideration of how we can try to harmonize as much as possible different countries regulatory approaches uh, when it comes to stable finance is going to be really important uh, we know that the finance and investment industry and our members um, you know, will operate globally and i think having as much uh, interoperability of standards and approaches is really important and, and we think there is a role uh, for policymakers and groups at the cop to be pushing uh, that agenda um, you know whether that's a, a new body that could promote this harmonization or indeed are there existing bodies such as the kind of iosco and others that could be promoting uh, a more uh, coordinated approach uh, to sale finance policy and regulation. So yeah, those are just three areas that, that come to mind initially in terms of uh, expectations uh, for the summit. Great. Well, as you say, lots up for grabs there at the autumn statement, even more at stake um, at COP28, arguably. So lots to look forward to, lots to digest. Thank you for coming on Susty Talks and helping me make sense of it all um, and talking us all through it. Um, but for now, I think we're just about out of time, so I'll let you get going. Thank you so much once again, Oscar. Thanks, Sarah. Really enjoyed the conversation. And yes, yeah, speak again soon. Thanks.